One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to episode 16 of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viber, and tonight I'm joined by Niv Shaw. No Chad with us tonight, Niv, but we'll try to hold down the fort without him. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we struggled a little bit to, to think about what we wanted to talk about on this episode, but I think what we're going to talk about is I had just um, released some updated rest of season dollar values on the surplus calculator, the premium surplus calculator. And I thought it would be interesting for us to go through some of those names um, and see which ones moved the most as far as salary up and down, value up and down. Um, before I do that, though, we start talking about the specific names. Um, I thought we could just sort of generally talk about why I like to use rest of season projections. Now, given the coronavirus season that we have right now with a very small sample season. It's only 60 games. Some teams have aren't probably not even going to play 60. Um, to me, that's all the more reason why you should inform most of your valuations based on rest of season projections, because all of the results right now are super noisy. Even two weeks into the season, even though we're a quarter of the way through the season, those are super noisy results. So I like to look at rest of season uh, projections, just like I like to look at full season projections when I'm prepping for auctions before the season begins. Um, it's a similar process for me. Um, and in theory, the rest of season projections, and I'm talking specifically about the ones that are hosted on Fangraphs, um, zips and steamer, which make up their depth charts projections. Um, they will, those projections will go up and down in terms of weighted on base or FIP or whatever, uh, stats you want to look at, they are sort of anchored by the preseason projections, but then they will move based on performance during the year. Um, so in theory, if a player's having a great couple weeks or a couple months, that projection will move higher, better. Um, and then vice versa is true as well. If a player is, is having really struggling with performance, their rest of season projection, which is basically the projection from this point on, will will reflect some of that um in theory veterans like joey Votto, for example because he has enough prior performance enough history his rest of season projections probably wouldn't move very much compared to what he was projected for in the preseason but a player like fernando tatis jr for example without a lot of major league performance data his projection is going to move more quickly than a veteran would. So um, that's sort of just a high level view of, of what rest, rest of the season projections are. Um, I do like to use them to look at player valuation in Ottenew during the season. Um, it's one piece of the puzzle for me. I do still also look at how those players are doing. And maybe I think those rest of the season projections haven't moved enough, um, but that's what it is now <clears throat> in this particular case, most of these ch changes on the surplus calculator dollar values are driven by 
what I already mentioned, projection changes themselves. The projections have gone up or down based upon how those players have done in the sh- in just the two for two week sample we have right now. Uh, some of those dollar values also changed because players have picked up additional eligibility, um, and if that eligibility is better than the eligibility they had before, then their their price uh, value would go up. Um, and then there's also often changes because of playing time considerations. If a guy gets hurt and the projections know he's only going to play 20 games the rest of the way, um, his value is going to go down accordingly because he's not projected to play as often as he was before. Um, or if a player is just promoted, these rookies that have just been promoted are getting a bump in their playing time projections on fan graphs. So their value is going to go up. Um, or if a guy is, is now a regular where before he was a part-timer, um, that will also be reflected in in some of these dollar value changes. So um, why don't we – I'm going to let you pick a name to start with. <laughs> well, I think you <laughs> and mentioned – And then we'll bounce. You mentioned one of the more interesting ones because, like you said, it doesn't have a ton of uh, history so far. Uh, and that's Fernando Tatis Jr., who has had just a really exciting start to the season. And, um, you know, uh, we, we've been having conversations about him pretty much this whole time, the whole two weeks, because it's just been um, – making great contact, uh, obviously still striking out, right? And that's the thing that's like kind of the trick about him. Uh, he's still striking out, but he's making such good contact that it almost doesn't matter uh, where his projections before m- made that strikeout rate look like it did matter a little bit more, I think. So like, what's your read on him? I, I guess he jumped quite a bit in your rest of the season. Yeah, so he he is the clear outlier, I guess I would say, in in the players who moved up or down the most. He went from a $25 player in the preseason surplus calculator dollar values up to $49. So he almost doubled. Yeah, wow. And that's not because of any more playing time or any additional eligibility. That's strictly from a change in projection. Yeah, right. A different outlook on what the player, how he can perform. So that's really interesting, too, because a lot of the names on the list as we get through them will be related to those secondary thoughts that Justin mentioned, position eligibility being foremost or playing time changes. So, so what do you think changed about Tatis Jr.? Now, before I, before I get into some of it, the one thing I want to point out, and, and we've had this discussion, it's, it's been a discussion on Slack over the last couple of days because I keep referring to these changes in the dollar values his projection has moved so much that I almost wonder, and specifically zips, right? Yeah. So I'm looking as of today. So this is going to be slightly different than when I ran the rest of the season projections that that drove these updated dollar values. So it's slightly, it might be off a little bit from the other day because I think I did, I ran those on Monday. His preseason weighted on base projection from Steamer was 346, and that's gone up to 357. So that's 11 points, but his weighted on base for zips was 353 and is now 378. That's 25 points increase. So I almost wonder if zips isn't weighting the preseason projection high enough that it's, it's looking at the 454 that he has right now to date in 2020, but that's only 85 plate appearances and it's not. It's over-indexing, it's overweighting the current performance versus the prior, which is the baseline projection before the season started. So I want to add that caveat that some of this, we may find out that Zip's rest of season projections were just busted a little bit um, because his steamer didn't go up nearly as much as his Zip's did. Um, 
However, I will say, as someone who looks at these projections a ton, especially in season, Zips has always seemed to react quicker to prior season and current season changes than, than Steamer does. Basically, Steamer, I think, regresses a little more uh, aggressively than Zips does. Um, because Zips, it, it, if you look at, I don't think it's this, it's not Tatis, but there's another player where like the, the Babbitt projection went up like 30 or 40 points, which is crazy. Like if anything, that should regress even more um, than the weighted on base. So I think in general, Tatis was probably projected too low to begin with, right? Because projection systems, they're conservative. He was a young player who was fantastic last year in 2019, but some of that performance wasn't justified by his minor league career. The scouts had justified that performance, but maybe not the the data history, the performance history in the minor leagues. Um, and I wonder how much I'm, I'm trying to pull it up now. What his batted ball information looks like right now on Baseball Savant? Well, I wonder the other thing. Well, is we can definitely look I mean, that up, look that up because it's tremendous. Yeah, but it is, yeah. So he's got a hundred percent, hundredth percentile exit velocity, hard hit percentage, ninety eighth percentile barrel percentage. Right. Um, so the Statcast data is is excellent. Right. I mean, the batted ball information is is incredible. Now, I don't believe that any of the rest of the season projections incorporate Statcast data. I know that Steamer and I think Zips both do for the full season preseason projections, but the rest of the season projections are basically just a simple a simple algorithm that says here's the baseline, here's what they've done so far, and then blend those together with certain weights to determine what the rest of the season projection is now going to be. I wonder for Tatis Jr., um, you did mention 85 plate appearances, but this is a guy who had 370 plate appearances in the majors last year. So that's still a high percentage in his overall work, his overall body of work, if you will. Um, but there is, I think, also a uh, reason to, to be just a little cautious before just wholeheartedly buying into the the zips rest of the season, it just it it did jump quite a bit. Now that Statcast data indicates that there is obviously something there that is working right now. So, um, I mean, right? Because right now he's playing like a forty nine fifty dollars shortstop. I mean, he absolutely is is performing like that right now. But um, yeah, I agree. I think there's reason to doubt such a massive increase in the projections um for for a guy like him especially because that's i mean it's an incredible change yeah but if anyone's going to have a change like that it is going to be a player who doesn't have as much major league history he only had a little more than half a season worth of plate appearances last year and has Um, 85 plate appearances like what he's had so far this year right and 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 you're right that the current his 2020 performance makes up a fairly significant chunk of his major league career now at this point um like a quarter of it um so yeah and i wonder also too if it's like the the age since he's 21 now he's age 20 season now his 21 is a step forward so now you're like sorting a model like a full i don't know if zip what zips does for rest of season but i i don't think that they're going to take that into account for Uh the rest of the season projections i could be wrong about that but i don't think any of those aging curves and aging effects are probably already baked into the full season projection yeah and then it's just a weighted blend of the preseason plus the additional information that's being fed into it for what they've done so far this year so 
Um, I mean, yeah, the contact rate is still not great. He strikes, he's striking out 30% of the time, but when he's hitting the ball as hard and as well as he does, when he does make contact, you don't even care that much. It just means that he has upside. If he can make more contact, um, he's walking 10 and a half percent of the time. So, um, I, I think that most auto new players are already valuing him as like a $40 plus shortstop. So if anything, this change just brought the surplus calculator in line with what, how people already thought of Fernando Tatis. I think he already had a market value that exceeded the projections. And now it's just sort of, maybe it's gone a little too high the other way, but still within the range of what I think most people would value him as if you were trying to make a trade for him, for example. So, um, yeah, I mean it, and he's he's one of those players that I think is the analytics-driven guys like me. He he's he's one of those guys that maybe oh, I don't know I, this right. isn't gonna this isn't gonna stay. And I think we even talked about this when we did our, one of our preview episodes. You know where yeah. it was yeah I don't know I think maybe he's gonna come back down to earth and he's not gonna yeah I mean the strikeout rate is, up, just, but. is just a concerning thing and um seeing obviously it's fun to see this year that like despite the strikeout rate he can still be super effective but um yeah i would still draw caution from that strikeout rate um i it just seems right it, that seems like a notable flaw in the game right now but he's also a 21 year old doing the stuff that he's doing so yeah i mean but he had like for for just as i don't know if i actually mentioned the numbers yet but he had a 347 depth charts weighted on base in the preseason, and it's, it was up at 371 when I made this update. Um, I mean, that's a massive change right. in two weeks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's reason to doubt it, but he's also one of the hottest commodities, one of the best players in Oddity right now um, in terms of what he's doing on the field. So at a prime position at shortstop. So um, another name that I want to mention, and and this was one that, in fairness, I, I will sometimes when I'm I'm doing the surplus calculator dollar values, I will sometimes make some manual adjustments to player eligibility in the cases where someone didn't play last year and we know he's going to play at a certain position. So I'll value him at that position, even though technically he's only util eligible to start the year. Um, and the next name I'm going to bring up, it was in that situation was Sal Perez. He was $0 in the preseason on the surplus calculator, mostly because he was util. I'm not sure what um, if I changed his eligibility to catcher, I'm, I'm guessing he would have had a few dollars, maybe five or six dollars. Um, he's now up to fourteen dollars. So that's the combination of his projections going up and him now having catcher eligibility um, on those dollar values. So that double whammy um, has turned him into a below replacement per the surplus calculator to he's now up to yeah fifth best catcher on the dollar values right now. Um and some of that is just the bulk playing time because he plays a lot and he's DHing when he's not behind the plate. Um, and we talked about that in our catcher preview episode too, that some of those catchers that play a lot are going to have some extra value this year, but he's also been raking. I mean, he's got a 378 weighted on base right now and he's never done anything like that. So I don't think it's going to continue. Um, but the rest of the season projections basically put him in a league average hitter, which at a prime position like catcher um, and with as often as he's going to play, 14, that might be more than I would consider him to be worth, but maybe eight, nine, or ten dollars would be pretty close to that range for me. Yeah, there's a lot it's nice to see a lot of other new players be rewarded for stashing Sal Perez or surviving that first week of uh him without the util eligibility. I think it took him uh six games because he started five, came in in the middle of one. So um 
Yeah, I mean, that patience paid off. Like, I think that's the way the system is supposed to work in that situation. And a lot of you who have self res, like, have them much below that $14 point, right? Like, his yeah, I, average salary is much lower than that. I'd have to look and see what, what we quoted his first year price at when we did the catcher preview episode, but I know it was. I mean, he's a va- he was well a available player, that, yeah. right? And, and so that sort of really speaks to like the value to me that Sal Perez is a great example of the value of the rest of the season thing, like the ability to make adjustments on the fly and to recognize, um, especially like just recognize that like the, the algorithm, the system didn't have full information. Um, a, a lot of you knew that Sal Perez was going to catch for five games to start the season, but um, you know, Recognizing those kinds of things are where you can differ a little bit from, you know, standard zips or standard surplus calculator prices or whatever. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about like the national situation with Thames and uh, and Howie Kendrick about even though that was still before the season, but it could just as easily have happened during the season where all of a sudden they have more playing time available for those players, and it you have to move your valuation at that point. You can't be too anchored on the idea that they're right. just platoon bats. I mean. Um, those things, those changes happen all the time and they're happening today. You know, Alec Baum just got called up. So that's changing the playing time mix in, in Philadelphia. So, right. um, and that's another valuable part of looking at the projections is also looking at those depth charts, um, playing time and, and how that impacts some of these dollar values. So, um, the nice part with Perez was even if you were forced to start him at util for the first five games, he was, he was hitting like a utility player, yeah, he was you know, like a corner too. infielder. Um, so it didn't really hurt you. I know I have him in one league and I was sort of mixing him in at, at my util spot because he was one of the best, you know, he was, he was better than my other options at the position at the time. <laughs> so, um, it's just a bonus now that he's, he's catch eligible finally. So, um, I guess, you know, I'm going to jump from Sal Perez who's, who started hot to another incredibly hot start, which is Charlie Blackman, who, uh, has jumped, I think six and a half dollars rest, rest of the season. Um, obviously, he was what yesterday before the game. Yesterday, he was batting five hundred for the season. He's um, hitting incredibly well. And now, Charlie Blackman is somebody I want to compare against Fernando Tatis for you, Justin, because one of them has a huge body of work. And obviously, we we made the argument that Tatis may be doubled in value uh, almost entirely because of a an adjustment based on 20% of his body of work, right? Two weeks, 85, whatever, 80 to 90 plate appearances, however many uh, Charlie Blackman's had, that's not 20% of his career, right? He's, it's been, he's been around for quite a while. So what do you think drives that price change? Uh, I know that's a crazy hot start and it's been a very, like a, a, a newsworthy start for Charlie Blackman, but like that still seems like a lot to me in terms of an adjustment, what, what do you what do you think about that? Well, you know what? I'm glad you brought him up because I alluded earlier that there was a player whose Babbitt projection was right. wildly different and surprising to me. And and now that I'm looking up his player page right now, it was Charlie Blackman that, right. that was that player. So his zips in the preseason was a 365 weighted on base with a 331 batting average on balls in play. He's now projected rest of the season by zips for 389, so he's up almost 25 points in Wobo, similar to Fernando Fernando Tatis. Um, but his weighted his BABIP projection went from 331 up to 368, 
which is a 37 point increase because right now he has a 508 BABIP. So to me, Charlie Blackman might be the most stark example of where I think the Zips rest of season projections are. There's something wrong with them. There's no way a guy who has like, yes, he's, he's got a 340 BABIP in his career, but why you wouldn't regress basically to that level, or maybe call it a 341 or a 345, but to say that he's a 368 BABIP the rest of the year, that, that does not pass the sniff test to me at all. Um, right. At that point, you're almost making an argument about the environment they're playing in rather than, I mean, like it's something beyond, well, and because there's natural variance to BABIP, right? Like it's not something that somebody is going to jump by 20 points. And what's interesting to me is if you look at the league context, mm-hmm. um, this year for the entire major leagues, BABIP is down drastically. Right. Batting average is down in two, right? I mean, we've been talking about offense being a little bit behind and, it's actually super noteworthy that Charlie Blackman is hitting what 480 something whatever it is now in an environment where batting average is down. Like that's right. It, like that's what it is across the league. So when you're saying we're going from 341 to 368 in the Zips rest of the season projection on his BABIP, it's in in the face of the league environment. That is extra crazy right that's extra skepticism inducing i think so like last year the league average for all hitters batting average on balls in play was 298 and yes it's a small sample but this year so far it's only 283 it's dropped 15 points um and we've been talking about it on the pod like the the offense is just lagging behind pitching like we saw some good offense last night and there's obviously been hot uh players who have uh started hot and started well but generally, like offense has been tough to come by so far. So, and, and they haven't even. I was just looking at his home and road splits to see if they'd had an inordinate number of home games across this, the early season. But it's ten games at home that he's played and eight away. So it's not like it's, you know, it's not Coors twelve Field. and four, and it's driven by a lot of time at Coors Field because Coors Field does have an inflated BABIP as as a park. Um, but right. yeah, I mean, I think the, the Zips is just is is broken <laughs> which sort of invalidates a lot of the points well, we're going to be I, talking I wonder, about tonight but i wonder if that's the way to look at it or to say that certain players can break zips rest of season right like yeah what, maybe. And, and we're calling out a couple of them one guy who has a 500 something babip and i mean these are extreme outliers yeah. and one guy who has a hundred percent a hundred percentile exit velocity in 20 percent of his career plate appearances now um so so just like let's get those names out of the way early because i think the rest of the names are like pretty interesting but uh, or at least like there's compelling stuff there but it is worth noting that a couple of these guys are going to just break zips right like they're doing things like they have right i I don't know that i would have expected them to but it seems like they it turns out 18 games of hitting 500 (laughs) might confuse (laughs) zips a little i i don't think that's zips fault necessarily but it's just something that's no and i think noting. and i and i think that in a in a regular season like a normal season context i think that's a feature of zips not a bug that it right that it is a little more right you mentioned react that. to you know like last year they were they had a higher projection on tatis than the other systems did because they weighed the current season performance more and and sometimes that's a good thing because that's one of the common criticisms of projection systems is they're too slow too to react to, to true breakouts and true you know like these rookies that come in and they they're they just hit from day one and yeah, the they, projections take forever to catch up to that so um 
that in, in many respects is a feature and not a bug for zips. But right now this is a bug that the rest of the season, I mean, I'm looking at like Blackman again, steamer BABIP was two, 323 in the preseason and you it's said gone 331 for zips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so, so zips close. was 331, went up to 368. Steamer was 323 and has gone all the way up to 324. <laughs> Steamer has barely moved. It has move a 500 BABIP yeah. through 18 games, and Steamer said, we're going to bump it up a point. Yeah, and now you can make an argument pretty easily that Steamer is maybe being a little too conservative with that, right? Like, Charlie Blackman... Like, when it com- because when it there comes- is the 18 games in which he t- has this 500... Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is already... Th- that's fact. So... Yes, it should increase, but BABIP is one of those things that just, you know, it's not, it's, it's so much noisier than some of the other performance metrics that it should be heavily regressed. And that's what makes that zips BABIP projection of 368, just, just nuts, a little nonsensical, but you know, it is what it is. So we've spent enough time, I think, talking about that particular aspect of, of his projection change, but I mean, obviously, he's seeing the ball well. He has, he's reduced his, his strikeout rate, too, so he's making more contact. Um, you know, I mean, we'll see if he can if he can hit 400, right? That's what everybody wants. Yeah, that's, that's what everybody is keeping, keeping an eye on to see if he can do that. And, and going forward, um, you know, if, if he's going to be above 400 at the end of the year, I, maybe. Yep. It'll be fun to watch, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Another outfielder that I want to mention, we, we're really only talking about the the ones that have increased so far. We're going to get to the pessimistic uh, downer <laughs> call-outs here in a minute. But the other one I want to mention is uh, Trent Grisham. Um, those those Padres are exciting between with Tatis and Grisham. And um, we're just turning into a Padres fan service yeah, pod at this point. <laughs> Padres standing <laughs> left and right. Um, he has gone from a... $1 outfielder, which was basically like replacement level outfielder to $14, which is, um, he was outfield 80 and now he's outfield 29. So he's a top, you know, he's like a third outfielder right now for Audenew and Fangraphs. And, and everything we're quoting is Fangraphs points, by the way. Um, I know sometimes we can be biased towards that, but it was just simplest to talk about Fangraphs points tonight. Um, and and that's again that's driven just by a projection change similar to Tatis where he didn't have very much performance he only had 183 plate appearances last year, um, and he's he's another one that's just tearing the cover off the ball and showing good. He's walking 18 percent of the time. Um, there's a lot to be excited about with Trent Grisham. I've been a fan. I made this joke on Slack. I've been a fan of Trent Grisham before his name was even Trent Grisham. He was <laughs> Trent Clark when he was drafted by by the that's Brewers. Right. Um, and uh, I think the fourteen dollars is is right. I think he's a he's a ten to twenty dollar outfielder, and you can sort of swing one way or the other within that scale, whether you um, think that the projections are too low or too high. But I, I'd I'd say he's a fifteen to twenty dollar outfielder for me right now. Um, I'd be buying him if I could, but I don't think a lot of owners or a lot of auto new roster are going to look to sell him right now. So nobody wants to trade him right now. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I mean, look at what can be said about this this Padres team right now. It's extremely fun to watch. These guys are all like uh, young and exciting, and uh, seeing Tatis Jr. and and Grisham both break out the same year, uh, 
I mean, I, I don't know what you call tattoo, what Tatis Jr. is doing. Breakout doesn't seem like a strong enough word. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't note, I, I don't have him on our list, but another Padre I, I, I have to mention because he's a guy that I've liked this, this season was Denelson Lamette. His value went up as well. I don't have it at hand, but he went, he went up, up, I think, four or five dollars or something. Up, uh, I think a full seven. I, I was, was I noted him in the. Um, oh, you're right. Yeah, he went. He was twenty four dollars, or he was seventeen dollars, and it's now twenty four dollars. Yeah. Um, he was starting pitcher twenty eight, and now he's starting pitcher fifteen. So he's just outside the you know number one starter uh, an SP1 range. SP one, and yeah, he's. A, a upper upper level SP two for Fangraphs points right now, which I mean, I thought he already was. I was higher than the projections even, um, and so far he's justified my enthusiasm. So let's talk about one more uh, pitcher who has jumped a little bit and maybe speculate on why Kikuchi and um, has what he's had a big velocity increase. Yeah, and, and everyone's and, pretty excited about that. And you know, you asked the question earlier about if some of that information is, is being accounted for in the rest of the season. I don't think it is, but um, it may help to validate the performance jump more than somebody who has, you know, done really well in the early going, but it's not supported by velocity or peripherals or some of those other stack driven metrics. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think you can't ignore the velocity jump. Um, he was a $0 pitcher to start the year, and he's now up to a $9 pitcher, um, up to SP49. Yeah, move from SP94 to SP49. That is a tremendous jump. Um, yeah. And and I wonder, or I would speculate that a lot of it is not directly the velocity, but the metrics that the velocity has allowed him to be more effective, right? Like, he's right. certainly more effective pitcher this year. Um, and I think a lot of that is, you know, the velocity is what is fastball sitting mid nineties now instead of uh, low nineties. Uh, so that's that's a noticeable yeah. change, and I think that's like an exciting way that the rest of the season stuff is sort of tracking that. Like, yeah, and that and that's exactly right. So so that increased velocity is driving better efficiency and better performance, and that in turn is what's driving a better rest of season projection. Um, and a higher and a higher dollar value. Yeah, he's got a ninety five point one average fastball, and that's up from ninety two and a half last year. Right, and, um, that's, and he's striking guys out. Like last year, he was under six and a half, and now he's over nine. Which, and it's hard to think that that strikeout rate isn't tied directly to that fastball being. And that's what we hear all more. the time, right? Like that velocity is is really that's the number Eno one thing you that. want to look at. Eno talked about it yep. in the, and he said that that would be a key thing to look at in the early going with some of these pitchers is, is, is there velocity differences to, so to justify velocity some of is it? A great indicator. It's very simple and it stabilizes. So, um, you say Kikuchi is a great example of all that stuff coming together. Um, is there any other positive guys you want to talk about or should we go to our neutral and negative guys? Uh, let's do some negatives and then maybe we'll bounce back to a couple more positives because we can't, we can't be all sunshine and roses here. So um, the one negative, and yes, there's there's additional context behind it, but uh, Shohei Otani was a $33 player in the preseason and is now a $15 player. Now, obviously, that's because his pitching performance is zero going forward um, because he's on the shelf with uh, 
Is he confirmed to need another Tommy John? I don't know if they've announced that. I don't know that. if that's cons- confirmed, confirmed, because I don't think he wants to miss any more time this season. Um, so they'll wait until the offseason. I think maybe that's they- sort of the sense I got um, from the way that they were treating it, because they you know, they put him right back in the lineup, and he's right. hitting. And, and that's notable, too. He is hitting, despite the yes. injury. Yes, and, you know, but he's now, he was a starting pitcher that you could play in your util when he was not pitching and now he's just a utility bat now he's still a good one because 15 dollars without any other eligibility other than utility is pretty good uh, because he is a very good hitter but it hurts to not have and i know i've have him in some leagues where i said this a lot <laughs> in the preseason i was short on innings and losing right. him didn't help not that i expected him to pitch a lot but i thought he'd get some starts and what the what the two starts he had were terrible so terrible, it, yeah. it just wrecked me um and anybody else that that had him on their roster this but. might be the one moment of the podcast that chad is happy not to be here <laughs> to have to talk I mean, about his the uh, nice Shepard part Tani. the nice part is though you don't have to worry about you know he's not gonna he's not gonna be in the lineup when he's pitching he's not gonna I mean he was maybe not in the lineup the day before or the day after like you don't have to worry about that it's just gonna be you don't like have last to mess year. around with managing him you know um, he, he maybe will sit against some tough left-handers but otherwise he should be in that angels line very close pretty to regularly. everyday bat yeah so that's sort of the good news but a lot of the enthusiasm behind otani has been that he was such a I mean, he's the only two-way, real, true, valuable two-way player, at least in terms of fantasy. Yeah, um, valuable in a fantasy context, context on both sides. Right. Um, and and given that Autonu is most almost every league is daily lineup changes, the ability to maximize moving him back and forth between the two roles, um, it stinks that we can't do that. But <laughs> for those of us that have him on our team... But, it was fun, yeah. I mean, um, you know... and. And obviously, like from a fun factor, like it's a super bummer that Otani yeah. can't pitch. Like it was, you want to want... see something like that succeed because it's very exciting and it changes. It fundamentally changes some understandings of how baseball can be played in yeah in the modern game. And the shame of it, I I feel like the the critics of of this experiment are probably chirping again that right. see this isn't going to work. This was never going to work. Um, and I do wonder if it changes the future for the angels, if they're thinking that, you know what, we're just going to, we're just going to stick to hitting here, or maybe he's a hitter who pitches out of the bullpen and, you know, they'd rather him pitch an inning at a time rather than, you know, five or six inning starts every five or six days. So from a baseball perspective, I think it'll be really uh, interesting to see how the Angels move forward with him. Yeah. Um, because they seem to. I think, like, you know, we, we were all surprised that Otani decided to go to um, the Angels, right? And I, I thought there was a good chance he was going to be a Cub. I. Right. I mean, there, there, I was hopeful. There's hopeful. And, you know, you look at the big market teams that have the money to spend, the Angels are certainly one of them. Yeah. But it does seem like. And it seems borne out by how it's been for the last two years that he chose the angels because they gave him the opportunity to play the way he wanted to play. And, um, they have his best interests and in what he wants to do in mind. And I hope that that continues. And I hope that that, you know, from a ba- just a pure baseball perspective. Yeah. I mean, baseball fan perspective, right. I mean, we want, we want this to work, but I wonder 
given this latest injury after coming off the prior Tommy John, if it might change too much things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another, another projection that's gone down is a guy who it's sort of interesting. Some of these players where when they come up or early, you know, you're, you're a big believer, you know, you, you're hyping them, you think they're undervalued. And then all of a sudden the cart tips over and it turns it's, out it's the other way around and they the were player, maybe overvalued yeah. and the player I'm referencing who I did have as a bust, I think in one, in our outfield episode is Andrew, Andrew Benintendi. Um, I was someone who loved him coming up through the minors. I thought he was going to be aggressively promoted by the Red Sox and he was, and I've been a believer, but Preseason, he was $13 on the surplus calculator. I think he was probably more like a $20 plus player in first year leagues um, because I think the market valued him more than that $13 valuation. But he's now down to a $0, like not even replacement level on the rest of season projections. Um, Now, those projections, that update was actually before he got hurt, but now he's hurt. So to add, Injury to insult. <laughs> now he's hurt. Well said. Um, but he's been bumped out of the leadoff spot. He's just not hitting at all. He's been one of the worst hitters so far in the young in the young season, and it's it's weird for a guy who was known for um, excellent plate discipline, and he's striking out almost a third of the time. He's still walking, but he's striking out and no power at all. A right. zero two six, and that's, and that's the real and, thing. Is the 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 ISO drop off is? I mean, his his power is is Billy Hamilton power right now, right. Um, and that's that's never a good thing. <laughs> that's never an encouraging sign. Not a great sign. Um, I will say, I just looked at our notes real quick, and you and Chad did have Ben Attendee down as a bust. Um, unfortunately, uh, you also had Charlie Blackman. So yeah, you I win mean, you, some and you lose some. Exactly. I, I mean, we can. I can definitely. We'll have to. Maybe we'll do an episode like that. We should you know, about that would halfway be through, fun. and we'll just talk about, you know, who might we have been right about calling a sleeper or a bust, and then and then who did we get really wrong? Because I I know there's some that I got wrong. In oh man, so I am I am right there with you. On the <laughs> I don't want to only gloat about the ones that I maybe <laughs> got right. Um, but yeah, I I'm out. Basically, I mean, I don't I don't think he's on any of my rosters. I would sell him if anyone is buying him, if anyone's still valuing him as like a $15 guy or a $10 guy, even I, I would, I would be selling um, maybe somebody who thinks, Oh, well, he's going to, he's a bounce back candidate. You know, he's not going to continue to be this bad. I, I don't know. I think he might be what we're seeing and not as bad as we're seeing, but he might be a $1 outfielder rather than the 15, $20 outfielder that, that some people might consider him to be. So, um, I would be selling if I, if I had him anywhere and I don't, but. Um, for, for my guys, I don't have a ton of huge drop off guys. And I think there's a couple more, maybe you want to touch on before we finish up here, Justin, but I did want to call out, uh, three players who, uh, all had and are having sort of a, a slowish start or like not as strong a start as people expected. Uh, the, the, the magic word in the slack was concern, I believe. Um, and and the three guys, uh, obviously Christian Yellick, uh, Steven Strasburg, and and Frankie Lindor, uh, all three of them have not had great starts this season. Strasburg missed an extended amount of time with uh, what 
at first seemed like a very troubling injury. And I think even in the last episode, we were really nervous about it, but uh, he, he pitched over the weekend. It wasn't super great. Um, but, but, you know, he, he hasn't, he hasn't given us the innings that expected up in the first two weeks of the season, you would expect three starts. He has one and it was, it was bad. Uh, Yellick obviously had a, a horrendous start to the season uh, where he was a negative WRC plus and maybe the worst hitter in baseball for a little while and uh, talk in slack of cutting him or benching him or whatever uh, concern, obviously the word bandied about for him. And Frankie Lindor is part of an anemic Indians offense that uh, also glad Chad isn't here to to just be down in the dumps with me about. Um, but, you know, his hitting, his, his slash line just isn't great right now. It's not the Frankie Lindor that we're used to seeing. Um, I think it's like a low 300s on base and a and and not much ISO, like an 8, a dot oh eight oh right? 80 ISO, something like that. It's actually a little bit higher than that now, but I think okay. he was running lower than that for yeah, a while. Was, yeah, that was off the top of my head, so I'm not 100% on that. But, but It yeah, moves Frank, quickly this early in the yeah, year. Yeah, that's true. So, that's true. I mean, one home run. and <clears throat> But the reason to group these three guys together is that the uh, rest of the season didn't move them that hard. Um, Frankie Lindor actually went up uh, $2 uh, rest of the season. He dropped from shortstop two, which is now Fernando Tatis' spot, to shortstop four. Um, Strasburg and Yellick both basically flat, 10 cents, whatever. I think it's super interesting the guys who uh, perception maybe changed a little bit or certainly was moving and people were concerned. But uh, Zips and Steamer both didn't move as hard as maybe uh, auto new owners have. And I wonder, maybe we can't group them all together as to why that's correct or if it's correct. Um but I think it's interesting, those guys who, you know, Yellick and Lindor have just not hit. And, I mean, Yellick has come around a little bit since since the Nader, but of course he was going to. But there still was a set of games there that were he was the worst hitter in baseball. And Strasburg uh, missed time, which is uh, having a value stay flat despite missing time is really interesting to me uh, when we're talking about a short season where missing time can be really a negative detriment, but we're talking about rest of the season, right? So, so what do you attribute uh, the flatness of their projections to? Well, we'll start with Yelich. Yelich, his projections, he's, he's, he's definitely gone down. He was a 398 weighted on base in the preseason for depth charts. He's lost 14 points off of that. And he's now 384. I'm yeah, let's, surp- let's be clear though his his out, he was outfield two and he's only dropped to outfield three right yeah and I I wonder I'll be honest with you I don't know that I have a good explanation for why that would have changed um, that there or I should I I should say that it Not didn't, that it didn't change right. um, I suspect that there were enough other outfielders in his range that also had moved. Um, that it's just, it meant that he didn't move that much. And because these dollar values are basically relative to everyone else at their position. Um, I mean, I, I'm trying to think, I mean, we, I, I won't say that the top outfielders have, have all like mostly lost value. Cause obviously uh, trout is, is basically the same Juan Soto is up a tick Harper's up a little bit. Um, 
Cody Bellinger is down a little bit, so that might have helped soften the the fall for for Yellick. Uh, JD Martinez is down as well. Jordan Alvarez hasn't played, so he's down. Um, right. He wasn't as high as Yellick, but he was sort of in that next tier down. Um, Nobody was able to jump up to supplant him. I mean, that's my guess right now. I, this might be something that I want to dig deeper and see exactly what happened. Um, it could also be that there's just some artifact with replacement level at outfield. Um, but well, the, you know, I think that's the same argument you can make about shortstop, right? Well, and 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 that's a segue. Now, the, the, the so the answer is I don't know with Yellick. I think that there's more investigation needed there. I can't adequately explain why with a pretty decent downgrade in his projections, why his value didn't go down as much or really hardly at all. Frankie, on the other hand, I think that that's driven by the shortstop position, because if I look at the spreadsheet that I have of all of the changes for everybody at the shortstop position, if I add up that Delta for all shortstops, all shortstops gained almost $64 in value in aggregate which tells me that replacement level went down a lot at shortstop. So even though Lindor's projection went down relative to everyone else, it it basically stayed the same for the most part. So I don't see that at outfield. I'm going to be clear about that because I don't see that. It's basically flat at outfield. So I don't know what's going on there, but for shortstop, I think it's just that we've, we've seen, you know, uh, Bregman and, and Correa struggling a little bit. Um, Bogarts has struggled a little bit. Glaber Torres has struggled a little bit. Um, Marcus Semyon is down quite a bit. He's down $10 from the preseason. Um, so I think we've seen some replacement. I, if I looked at my spreadsheets and I don't have them at hand right now, I'd be willing to bet that a replacement level went down um, so that his points per game above replacement level stayed similar, even though his raw points per game projection went down. That's if that makes any sense. So the yeah, margin sure. is... The Delta the is so good. Right. Because you're replacing like a, a replacement player with Frankie Lindor, and that's still an improvement. But that's because that replacement player is giving you less than we thought he would before the season started. Right. And I think, I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like last year, shortstop performance across the league was like historically good. Um, and the projections might have as a as a collective given those shortstops higher projections than maybe they should have had just because they were so good last year and we're seeing the position sort of slide back to where a more realistic level um that would be i think a more reasonable explanation for lindor's not changing very much at all um with his dollar value versus versus yellick which i can't explain in the same way so um that's interesting. I'm so glad I, you flagged those because I, I didn't pick up on I wasn't really looking at anybody that didn't change. Um, but you're right. That's just as interesting that somebody who hasn't played well and should. I mean, if if Benintendi is down $13, why isn't <laughs> Yellick down anything? Um, Yellick having that same problem, right? Right. So. Yeah. So that's just another interesting thing to think about as you're going through. If you're, you know, if you're listening to this, like as you're going through the rest of the season projection stuff, like. It's obviously the extremes are interesting, but the guys who are staying flat despite performance or um, despite performance either way, right? Like, I think there's just uh, something to take note of there because you don't want a, a recent bias to make you think all of a sudden I have to make a drastic uh, rethinking of like what Christian Yelich is worth or what 
like how Frankie Lindor fits into my team. Like you actually don't, uh, it turns out, need to do that if you are thinking of it like holistically across like the position. Um, and I, and, and now I think- maybe you do because maybe there's something weird about Christian Yelich, but but with Frankie Lindor basically not budging because nobody jumped up to pass him other than like Tatis, other than him, like everyone right. else is down. And I so, think maybe maybe that's a better takeaway is that the the raw dollar value change isn't as important as the ordinal ranking changes. That if it, you know he went from shortstop two to shortstop four, that's not a big big move. Yellick went from two to three, it's not a big move. So even though the projections moved a lot, and then when he's we still talk the about third the guys, best outfielder with by projections. So right, and when we talk about Trent Grisham moving from not roster or like replacement nothing right to twenty nine. Yeah. Or UC uh, Kikuchi going from uh, ninety or whatever to to forty nine. Like th- th- those are really interesting uh, ordinal changes, as you put it. Uh, that sort of give you an idea of how, how what ways you should adjust when you're you know next week. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about the trade deadline that's imminent and and the way you want to approach that. And I think these are these are some good things to think about as you get into that. Yeah, because it, it should change your valuation on some of these. I mean, it's only been two weeks, but I think we're getting enough performance that there should be some directional changes at least. This guy's ticking up. This guy's dropping down. Um, another couple quick examples, by the way, of of ordinal direction. Uh, ordinal rankings not changing very much, but the dollar value is dropping. Um, two other down values. Uh, Ozzy Albies went from 25 to 14. But that was second base two to second base six. Um, Rafael Devers down from $33 to $21, but he only slid from third, third base two to third base four. So he really didn't move that much within within the position. Um, he just lost some value. And again, some of that might be replacement level effects or something at the low end, at the at the replacement level, rather than you know, comparing him against the the players around him. So um yeah, I and I don't to be very clear and I talk about this a lot when I talk about the the dollar values that I have on the surplus calculator. They're not gospel. It's just here's the method I use to generate values based on um projections and that's what that method spits out. And that's where we are right now with these rest, rest of season projections that I ran as of Monday. So, um some people throw that out. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Other people use that to inform most of, you know, their valuations during the year or before the season, certainly. So, um, okay. I Do we want to rapid fire some of these other names? Do you think it would be meaningful Man, to mention them? or uh, We talk about a bunch of them, but on the negative side, all the ones on the list that you have up there are just horrendous performances, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you want to go through them, like, I'll, I'll just name the pitchers real quick. Like Craig Krimble, Kimbrell, famously bad. Like there's not a surprise there. Dropped from a uh, $13 preseason to $4. Uh, Luke Weaver. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like this isn't yeah, uh, so breaking bad. news. Joshua James, not breaking news, right? Like, yeah, he's been bad job. and right. And no longer being in the rotation of affects his value quite a bit. Um, so that's a role change. That is driving a lot of that. Although he's also been bad, so it's 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 both at the same time. And the same thing with Kimbrel, where I think I'm not sure what they project for saves the rest of the way for Kimbrel, but I I wouldn't be surprised be, if yeah, even it's role. not as high as it was because his role is more tenuous than it than it was. 
that Cubs bullpen is so bad. <laughs> I, I mean, as it's, good as they've been so far, the, the fact that that bullpen has been as bad as it is, that's going to. That's, it's been a weird year for bullpens, right? And there's, it's it's amazing that the same division has two historically bad bullpens in it, because the Reds bullpen is somehow worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but yeah, that Cubs Which bullpen is also hard to believe. Yeah, but it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, so you want to go through the positive ones. I, I think there's a couple there that are at least worth calling out. Yeah, I mean, the the one that's sort of in a similar boat um, as Trent Grisham, but maybe has a little more major, major league career to, to back up the performance is Mike Yastrzemski. Um, went from $0 to $8. Uh, that's outfield 93 to outfield 47. Um, Ian Happ went from $6 to $18. That's both a projection increase, and I think he's got a playing time bump because he's playing more regularly than the projections thought he was in the beginning of the year, I believe. And then I think that's also I, – I have a note on here, so I must have verified this. The second base base the second base replacement level baseline is lower than it was in the preseason. Right. So that's another one so of those So it's like three things of, coming together there for and, him. And, right, and that combination. And so he he's, was second base 10, and now he's the third second baseman. Um and Colin Moran, who who Chad wrote an article about on points above, um, he was a zero dollar player to start the year and is now a seven dollar uh, second baseman, up from second base thirty three to second base eleven. So he's a starting second baseman um, basically, and 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 that seven dollars might be underselling him a little bit. I think uh, he might be a ten plus because um, this the Statcast performance is validated. Really, I think yeah. what he's doing so. Uh, and then we have a couple, a couple pitchers like uh, like Rosenthal. Obviously, he's going to start picking up saves, uh, maybe in theory. Um, and then uh, Chatwood and Fran Valdez, who both are just pitching better, so, pitching better. And I think in the, especially pitching, in the case pitching of Valdez, well and beating their projections, so it's a, adjustment to the. But you know, there's not that's not. That's not breaking news. Like when players are doing hot or doing cold, it's it's not um, unless they're breaking zips like Charlie Blackman and Fernando. Yes, <laughs> I mean those were somewhat unique circumstances. But yeah. um, and like I said at the top, I mean most of it, yes, is is just the changes in the projection based on how they performed in the early going. Sometimes it's eligibility changes. Sometimes it's playing time or or um, some of those positional replacement level effects. So. Um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there. Um, Niv already alluded to it. We're definitely gonna have a trade deadline episode up, either the next one or the one after that. But it'll be up well before the deadline, which is August thirty first. For anybody that isn't already aware of that, um, and uh, we should have Chad back with us next time, so we can be, go back to the the three amigos. So, <laughs> <Missy Chad. laughs> he's enjoying his he's camping, right? I, yeah. I, so, so he probably doesn't miss us. No, he's 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 probably enjoying the outdoors and, and and away from it all right now, which is which is a good thing. So, all right, everybody, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next.